Lord, I am so glad that what you want to have happen this morning won't be messed up by me choosing wrong words or forgetting what order I want to say things in. Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would speak to us and have your way in our lives. In your name, amen. We are in the midst of a series, or starting a series, I can't quite remember which, called Setbacks to Comebacks. And one of the things that I love about this series is that Corey promises me he did not create it because it's Super Bowl Sunday. It's not about great football comebacks. Comebacks are fantastic. I don't know if you've ever gotten to watch one. They are a whole lot of fun to watch. As I was a kid, when I was a kid, sports wasn't a whole lot of a a big thing in my home. We, We didn't watch a whole lot of sports. About every four years, we'd turn the rotary dial, this is how old it is, on the television to CBC and try and get the rabid ears facing the right way to watch the Winter Olympics. Apparently, there's a thing called Summer Olympics. Apparently, it's bigger than the Winter Olympics. Clearly, people are wrong. But Like, that's what we would watch. And that was the main sports thing in my life. Uh, I didn't really participate in sports, didn't do sports, didn't watch a whole lot. Uh, As some of you can attest, if you've been downstairs during youth group. Then, about a decade ago, I started hanging out with this guy who is an absolute football fanatic. And not only did he not have a rotary dial to tune into his television, I would sit down beside him and he would actively flit between 20 or 30 games, it felt like, and know exactly where to go. And he started to educate me. And in both contexts, I, can re- I, I loved those moments, like in downhill skiing during the Winter Olympics, when like, uh, the people in red and white were behind And suddenly somebody came hurtling down the hill, just hanging onto the ragged edge and slid into first place. That was an awesome moment. I love those moments. And sitting with Corey, watching a team that's kind of the underdogs, and like they suddenly come from behind and hold off the the champions. Hello, Miami Dolphins uh, and the Patriots. Like, that is so fun to see happen. As long as it's the team that you're cheering for. Because I can remember that time where there was a lot of red and white in the Olympic podium standing. And then some characters in red, white, and blue came hurtling down the hill and bumped ours out of the... I wasn't so happy at that comeback. If you've ever been part of a comeback, you know, a, a, a curling team that was down that suddenly came back by an excellent play, or a company that looked like it was about to go under, and somehow, through sheer grit and determination and, frankly, dumb luck, survives. Oh, those are great feelings. It is great to be on the other side of a comeback. There's nothing quite like it, but I don't know anyone who wants to be in a position where they need a comeback, because that means you've flamed out, 
You've crashed and burned. You've made bad choices, and now you're in a really hard situation, and you need a minor miracle, or maybe even a major miracle. Comebacks, they are fantastically expensive. And I'm not talking about like the, the type on a, a football field. Oh, good. You overcome an insurmountable lead in two hours. That's cute. But let me talk to you about the guy who's been fighting a cigarette addiction for 20 years. Kicked it 20 years ago and still has to fight every day to keep from going back. Let me talk to you about the mother who's healing from depression and fights every single day to take care of the family. Uh, let, me, let me talk to you about the family that through life's betrayals and hurts are still fighting to do life together. And 15 years on, they're still fighting for the comeback. And, and somehow, through God's grace, they take one step after another until the setback is long in the past. And it, it suddenly looks like they've had a comeback, but they've been working at it, depending on God for it, for years. That's the type of thing we want to talk about in this series, the the situations where life has dealt you a major setback. Maybe it's your fault, but you know what? Sometimes life just stinks. And you didn't pick this hand of cards. But how do we get from here to the point where it looks like we've had a comeback? This is character in the Bible. His name's Job. If you didn't grow up in the church, it looks like his name is Job. Job is like the father of all setbacks and comebacks. You can find his story in the book of Job, or Jobs, just at the beginning of what we call the wisdom literature section. These are, this is a section of scripture that teaches us about how to do life in its ups and downs. You can find it in the Old Testament. And Job, his life, and when we tune in, it looks like his life is going pretty well. He's got a whole bunch of kids, and he's close to them, and he loves them, and he cares for them, and they make, they make choices he's not proud of, but he carries them to God every day, and he stays close to God. His business has survived and thrived, and he's known as a wealthy man. Known as a wealthy man, a family man. And a holy man. That's a, a pretty good set of cards if you can get dealt that hand. But then through what is frankly, a, let's be honest, a little bit of a confusing account, all of it is gone. All of it. His kids are killed in a massive tragedy. Thieves come, kill his servants, steal all of his wealth. wealth. His health falls apart. And it's getting to the point where his entire body is covered in sores and boils. And now his wife, who, you know, if his kids are gone, maybe, maybe it's the last of the loved ones who are close to him. His wife looks at him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? His wife says it's time for him to die. 
It's a rough situation. That is a massive setback. And I pray that none of you know what that feels like, but I'm willing to bet that most of us, we can identify with a little bit of it. Maybe more than we might like. Job has been dealt a massive setback. And as all these things happen around him, friends show up. And they sit down around the fire together. And they start off right. Because they all sit there and they shut up. And they just let Job grieve. And we tune in to this morning at chapter 3 of the book of Job. Job, after a period of time, somewhere around 40 days, sitting with his friends, opens his mouth. Job chapter 3, starting at verse 8. After this, Job opened his mouth. Let me, let me tell you what we're listening for. We're listening for Job's heart. Because some of his words don't make a whole lot of sense. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish. And the night that said a boy is conceived, that day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. This is what we would call today a bit of a rant. That night may thick darkness see it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor entered in any months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. I continue on, but it starts to get depressing. He's having a rough time. And I love this. He's, like in verse 8, it's almost like he's like, I've run out of ways to say how much I am hurting. And he's like, how would verse 8 play out? Hey, who's in charge of cursing days? Oh, that's George on the third floor. Oh, George, February 2nd, 2020, curse it. Like, how, how does that work? But that's not what we're getting at. We're not looking at the literal words of Job. We're looking at his heartbeat here. And if you were to wind ahead to like verses 20 and following, in the same chapter, Job finishes cursing the day of his birth and starts longing for the day of his death. Why is life given to those who are in bitterness, who are in suffering? Why is light shown to those who long for the grave? He's having a rough time of it. To put it a different way, he wants to punch out. He wants to give up. He's had enough. I'm done. But we know the story of Job doesn't end there. Job is a fairly long book. We're going to jump ahead here to like chapter 42. Chapter 42, after everything's said and done, this is how it starts to wrap up. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. This is where we learn that Job had to come back after the setback. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen and of donkeys. And he also had, and it goes on, and you can read it if you like, but I just want to skip down to verse 16 and 17 because this kind of summarizes Job's life. 
After this, Job lived 140 years. And he saw his children and, and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died. An old man and full of years. Job had this massive comeback. After all that happened to him in the first couple of chapters of the book and, and the sorrow that he declared in chapter 3 where he said, I'm done, I'm out, I want out of this game, it's over. Somehow, God brought about a comeback. I can't help but think that I don't know all of your stories, but I would guess there have been moments where in your setbacks, and like the word setback is it's too small for what some of us have gone through. It's a euphemism. It doesn't encapsulate the pain that some of us have walked along. But I'm willing to bet that in some of your setbacks, you've wanted to punch out. If we could call an end to this game, I'd like it. Could we just call closure? Where's the mercy rule? I've had enough. So, and the question for us this morning, and, and that I want to take out of Job, is what can we learn from Job about how to get to a comeback when, when we've had enough, when we want to give up? So I've studied Job, and as I've thought about it this past week and over the years, because Job is an interesting book to look at, I've kind of walked away with about four points. And they're not wordsmithed. They don't rhyme. They're not enumerated. They don't all start with the same letter, but there are four things from my heart that I'd like to share with you. The first one is this. How do you keep going when you've had enough? Well, it's okay to be honest about the situation. By the way, this is the, uh, in the first service, it, w- it was hilarious. There's spelling errors on this sheet. And the first service, they let me know about three of them. If you've discovered four, don't share it. I've had enough. It's okay to be honest about the situation and to let grief run its course. I don't even know how I type D there. Anyway, I've been in situations where I am just gutted and hurting. And somebody comes by and with all the best of intentions says, there, there. It's not that bad. And I didn't kill them. But if you've been in that kind of situation, you know that short-circuiting grief, it's not healthy. It's not good. If you've had a setback, it's okay to let grief run its course. It's not okay to stay forever in grief. But it's okay if you're not okay yet. The other side of this is that it's important that we're honest about our part in it, both our guilt, guilt, our guilt and innocence. Job's friends, I kind of alluded to them, they're, they're interesting. They show up in chapter 2, Job speaks in chapter 3, and most of Job's like from here on in, from what Job wants to say is, I just wish I could talk to God about this. So that's around chapter 4. God shows up in chapter 38. Starts talking with Job. 
Chapter 4 to chapter 38, if I've got my numbers right, I know somebody's there like, oh no, Micah, it's chapter 38 or 7 and a half. <laughs> Whatever. Over 30 chapters of Job go like this. Job says, it's really hard. His friends say something like, oh, it must be your fault. And Job goes, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, maybe, I'm not perfect, but I, I haven't done anything that I think would deserve this. And Job's friends go, oh no, we know how life works. We understand how the universe works. You've had to have done something. And Job says, I don't think you get it. I don't know what I did. And it goes on like this for like 30 plus chapters of friends pouring salt into the wound. Look, if you're in a setback moment, yeah, there's probably some part to which your choice is led there, but it's also okay to say, I don't understand the equation here. This doesn't feel fair to me. I've dealt with families that just get one hit after another, and it doesn't seem fair. And it's okay to acknowledge that. One of the things I remember my mom saying to me about faith when I was little, is that God's got big shoulders. It's okay to say, I don't understand. In fact, what's beautiful about Job and what gets praised later on, and we'll take a look at this in a moment, what God praises later on is Job's honesty. Not his like self-egotisticalness. Uh, oh no, I'm holy, I'm righteous. But Job's just honest. And that gets praised later on. Be honest about the situation. Second, keep a good, healthy perspective on God. Because it's so easy when we are dealing with like our own issues to forget just how big God is. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It's just it's healthy to keep an honest perspective of who God is. In chapter 38, God starts pulling Job back to reality, reorientating his perspective and saying, Job, like, my friend, let's remember what's going on here. Let's remember who you're talking with here. And he doesn't lay the smack down. He doesn't beat him up. He is so much kinder than his friends were. But God gently pulls Job back to reality. And he also condemns Job's friends, the ones who pretend they understood how everything works. They understand the great equation of life. God actually says to them, I am very angry at you. Because you have not spoken truthfully about me. You need to get my friend Job to pray for you so that I forgive you. Because I'll pay attention to him. Keep a good perspective about God when you've gone through a setback. Keep close to Christ. Now these sound very similar, except there's something about Jesus that just reminds us that he, he was God in flesh. He walked among us. As Paul says in one of his letters, we have a high priest who understands what we've gone through. That's a very poor paraphrase. Keep close to Christ. There's a, a passage in Romans chapter 8 that goes something like this. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I don't know how big your setback's been. I know some of our stories, but I don't know all of them. But I do know this. No matter how big it's been, it will not separate you from Jesus. God has not let you go. As we've sung about many, many times. Even in the hard times. There's a story in the New Testament in the book of John. Jesus starts laying out just how different his gospel is. He starts laying out just how, no, no, it's not going to be like what you expect. I'm not coming in with a warrior sword to conquer. No, no, it's different. And people start walking away from Jesus at this point. And Jesus turns to his followers and says, well, what about you? From this time on, in John chapter 6, verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. (coughs) These words, to to whom would we go? Where would we go? Every time I read them, I'm reminded of a story I heard about how sailors in the olden days would face storms. They'd go and find the biggest, strongest rope or chain they could find and wrap it around themselves and around the mast of the boat. Because they weren't sure how they were going to get through, but this is where hope was going to be found and nothing was going to separate them. They lashed themselves to the mast, if you've ever heard that saying. That's what it meant. No matter what wave swept over the side, their hope was in that boat. Peter here is lashing himself to Jesus. I don't know, I don't understand this storm, I don't understand this teaching, I don't understand what's happening, but it doesn't matter, this is where I'm staying. Because only you have the words of life, Jesus. When you're going through life's setbacks, stay close to Christ. And then this is the one, this fourth point, It needs to be wordsmith, and I can't find a better way to say it. I'm sure somebody else has. It probably popped straight into your mind now, and you can tell me afterwards. But it's simply this. Move towards or embrace or accept the transformation that's going to come because of the setback. Look, if you've gone through a setback, I mean a major one, you're not going to be the same on the other side. Things won't go back to the way they used to be. But that doesn't mean that they have to stay broken. There's a a Japanese art form that I stumbled across, and I know I've talked to a couple of people about it. I think it's pronounced kintsugi, but like you know me, it's probably wrong. But it's this knack of taking broken pottery and putting it back together with pure gold. 
And as I've read a little bit about it, I've heard that often because of the amount of gold that is poured in, the amount of treasure that is poured into these cracks to pull these pods back together, often the gold is thousands or tens of thousands of times more valuable than the pot was before it was broken. In fact, the value of the pot becomes its brokenness. Jesus is at work restoring you. And as I think about the setbacks that we go through and the hurt that we go through and recognizing that life won't be the same afterwards, there's a couple of things that can happen. One, you can, you can break and break bad. You can stay sharp. Look, something is going to fuel your restoration. Something is going to fuel your healing. It could be a desire to just prove that they're wrong. It could be to have vengeance. But my goodness, that makes you toxic and ugly. It could be just sheer stubbornness. But boy, that makes you hard. It could be like seeking fame to prove to people that you are the one who made the comeback. But that tends to make you pretty shallow. But if the thing that puts you back together isn't your ego, isn't your desire for fame, isn't your desire for wealth, if the thing that puts you back together is Jesus... That makes you beautiful. That's a wonder. I can't help but think of this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We've we've been broken and somehow through the cracks, the glory of Christ shines. Somehow in our brokenness, Jesus makes us even more beautiful. If you're going through a setback, let me encourage you to push into Jesus. To choose to let Jesus bring you together. Back together. And it's not going to be the same. But when Christ's hand is in it, It could be better. If you've gone through a setback and you can look back and say, yeah, but for the grace of Christ. If you've gone through a setback and God's knit you back together and and along your cracks shines this treasure, then we've got this opportunity to encourage and to care for people who are going through hard times. How do you get from a setback to a comeback? It's by trusting God. Because he's the only one who can put us together in a way that's beautiful. This morning, we're going to celebrate communion to close. And everybody's welcome at this table. If you follow Jesus, you're trying to follow Jesus, you're welcome at this table. One of the things that this table is, is a declaration in faith that not only will Jesus come again, but that he'll make it right. I've got an old friend of mine, I've quoted him, I think, just about every time I've stood here, Kai Bindrup. He's got this line that goes, it will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, 
this isn't the end. Jesus will make things right. There will be the proper comeback someday. And part of the communion table, it's, there's a whole lot to this table, but one of the parts of it is a statement of faith, of belief, that we trust that Jesus is still up to good things, that his work in us is not done yet. He's still bringing about healing. And we trust him to do it now, tomorrow, or in the end. We still trust him. Let's pray. Father, I'm hesitant to even talk about setbacks because it can feel like I'm making so light of them that I'm, I'm not acknowledging just how deep some of the hurt is. But Father, you know. You know what some of my friends have gone, are going through. Lord, I, I would pray this morning that they would feel your healing along their sharp edges. That you'd start pulling them back together and that we could say in faith with Paul, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Lord, for those of us that you have done that work on already, would you give us eyes to see those who need encouragement and let us come alongside of folks who still are going through that healing. And in all of it, God, we we don't want to be better just for our sake, although it feels so much good, or it feels so good. Lord, we want to see healing so that we could point to you. So in all of it, God, would you get the praise and the glory we ask. In your name, amen. One of the things that...